to read it. I should probably read it. So I, I read the email, and I was like, all right, maybe I'll, I'll try to go. And she's like, well, I'll register, I'll register one of us, and then if you can go, great. And if you can't, then I'll go. Uh, so we knew one of us was going to go. But as the date got closer, you know, like, okay, I think I can go to this. And so I went out, and, and it was, uh, they had a panel of three pastors um, who our denomination sees as, 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 as being very effective in bl- blessing and caring for people outside of our church, outside of the church. And one of the, the pastors was Mike Gerald. And I, I very quickly resonated with the things that he was saying. And so after uh, the session was over, I went up to him. And I introduced myself, and, and I said, hey, you know, can you, you know, give me any advice? This is kind of where our church is. You got any suggestions on how we could help to do some of the things that you're doing? And Mike said to me, he goes, well, actually, would you like me to coach you through it? You know, I was expecting like a five-minute conversation. Here's a few tips, and see you later. Have a nice, have a nice life, right? But he's like, no, can I coach you through this? And as it turns out, our denomination has kind of earmarked him to do this, uh, to, to coach churches that are interested in moving in this direction, and so he and I have met weekly over uh, video conferencing uh, for an hour a week, and just kind of he's been explaining to me what they do with their church, and then uh, and, and then I'm kind of I've been explaining to him a little bit about where our church is, and so he's just been meeting with me uh, every week for the last several uh, several months, and then just a few weeks weekends ago we went to uh, Felicia and Leani and I went out uh, to a, a conference he was putting on at his church, where he was just training a bunch of people in, in the way they're doing this and. Uh, it was really exciting. I think that, uh, fortunately, Leani really loves our church and just loves it here because I think if she didn't, I think she would move out to Pennsylvania and just join the movement out there. So you're not allowed to steal Leani, just so you know that. Uh, but it was, it was very inspiring. And so uh, we invited Mike to come and to share with our leadership yesterday. Uh, he's going to also, we're going to have some Q&A with the elders uh, after this as well. Uh, but we just invited him to come and preach and to share uh, his heart with us. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Dear Lord, we lift up uh, Mike to you, and God, we ask that uh, you would just work through him. God, that what we would see up here is, is what, you, what you want, and what would be said is what you want to be said, and that you would open our hearts and minds, Lord, uh, to be challenged. Lord, I believe there could be things that could really challenge us, Lord, and I pray that that's okay. And uh, even if we disagree with things, Lord, um, but that at least we're challenged, and at least we're thinking through things differently. And I just pray that your spirit would be upon uh, both Mike and each and every one of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said, um, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And so God came on a, on a missionary journey for us to come live amongst us, eat with us, um, build relationships with us, serve us. Um, he moved into the neighborhood, ate our food, wore our clothing, and then he sent his disciples out as the Father sent me, so I send you. And so the, the picture that I want us to have is that there, there's no such thing as being a Christian and a spectator, that we're all called to be missionary disciple makers. We're all sent by God to be on his mission. And I'd love for all of us to get, to get this picture of with, with every seed, a potential tree, and every tree a forest, with every every spark of flame, every flame of forest fire that we're all called to be missionary disciple makers and with every believer the potential for a church plant in every church, a, a church planting church. And that God's really designed us for movement and, and has sent us out to be on his mission. And as Spurgeon says, there's, um, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. 
And um, so what I want to encourage all of us with is, is that there's, there's no such thing as we, you know, we come and watch a couple of people up there that we pay to do ministry and mission, but we are all a part of living out this mission together. We're all a team of missionary servants that are sent by God to be good news to those that are around us. We're all called and sent by God to be salt and light to people that are far from God. So um, I think what we need to ask, the, the questions that we need to ask is, um, as a church, not how many people are showing up on, on Sunday and, and how big is our building and you know, how many, what, what's our attendance look like and all of that, but instead we need to start to ask the question of um, how are we salt and light? What does our neighborhood look like? How is our neighborhood, my neighborhood as a person, I, if I'm filled with God's spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in me, if I go into that neighborhood, how does my neighborhood experience transformation because I am good news to the people that God has sent me to that I live around. If Jesus moved in the neighborhood, the neighborhood was transformed because God in the flesh lived among the people. What happens when God sends us as his people filled with his spirit to live amongst people that are far from God? Shouldn't it be that our neighborhoods experience something that is different? They're loved like they've never been loved. They're listened to like they've never been listened to. They're served like they've never been served. How is it that, that God's people filled with the Spirit could go into their neighborhood and there not be transformation or your workplace or your family life? You know, so what is my marriage like? What are my kids like? How do my enemies respond to me? Those are, those are deep spiritual questions that we have to start asking. Every Christian is a missionary disciple maker. So my story, um, just to give you a little backdrop, I think the, the mics are interfering with each other. Um, but, but my story, just to give you a little backdrop, is I... Grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor, and um, so I, I heard all this stuff about Jesus that, that I believed, but I came to this point in my life where I thought, what makes me different from the kid who grew up in India, and he, you know, he believes what he believes because his parents told him? Um, I don't want to believe this just because my mom and dad told me. I want to believe it because it's true. And so I started really questioning and doubting you know, what I had been told as a, as a kid growing up, and I became a, an atheist for a while, walked away from my faith. And, and it was a person who showed love to me, just included me over late-night appetizers at Applebee's. And he, uh, I, I like to say that Applebee's changed my life. It was the Applebee's model of evangelism. This guy just included me at the table and sat across from me, let me argue and debate and curse and didn't judge me and just listen to me, and, and start, if he had answers, he would give me answers. If he didn't have answers, he didn't make stuff up. He would, he would say, I don't, I don't know, let's look into that. And I saw, he, he was accessible. He let me see the way that he treated his wife, the way that he treated his kids. And, um, you know, he, he joined me in going out to the movies and stuff like that. And over the course of time, I, I started to discover, hey, this is true. This, this stuff about Jesus is actually true. There's, there's evidence for it. And God actually came to earth in, in, in the form of, of a man, Jesus. The God-man lived among us, and, and he ate with people, and he served people, and he cared for people, and he associated with the people that, that everybody sort of left out. And, and God loved these people. And, and then he physically, he predicted his own death and resurrection. And then he, he pulled it off. 
You know, he died and then he came back from the dead. And anyone that can predict his own resurrection and pull it off, I, I got to listen to this guy. And then he walked the earth for a month and a half. And the same people that saw him on the cross see him walking through the streets. And I'm like, man, this is, this is legitimate. This is real. There is a real God who actually came to earth, came back from the dead. There were eyewitnesses that saw it. Those eyewitnesses then were willing to die for what they saw. And I thought, man, people need to know this. People in church need to know this. I don't think people in church know this. And I got really excited about it, and I thought, you know what, I, I really want to give my life to, to helping people understand that there's a good God that came as a missionary God and lived among people. It wasn't that God said, you have to work your way to me. It's that God came down to us and, and lived among us, and he became weak so that he might make us rich. And, and I thought, man, what, how great would it be if, if, we, if we really saw people that, that were excited and transformed by the gospel in their lives and their families and and so I got involved with youth ministry, went from youth ministry in Philadelphia, and um, started working with this church in central Pennsylvania and Harrisburg. And, you know, the church when I got there was about 40, 50 people meeting in a school, and we, we grew to around 800-ish. And the 800 was all transfer growth, though. So, you know, we, we had people coming in because we were Starbucks, and the churches around us were, were Tom's, and we had, you know, better kids program, better better youth program, better music, and all that kind of stuff, better advertising. But, but we weren't reaching people that were far from God. They were all coming from other churches. And, and so I thought, man, we've got to reach people that don't know Jesus. But the people that don't know Jesus aren't going to come to us. We have to go to them. And isn't that what God did? Is that God came to us, and Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I send you. So rather than trying to get people to come to us, what if we went to them? which led me on a journey to, to start Narrow Road Church where at the beginning I tried to, to preach people into mission and realized that, that, that we can't preach people into mission. We have to take people into mission. They have to, they have to see what it looks like um, to go and engage people that are far from God. They watch us as, as we engage people that are far from Jesus and then see what it looks like and start to do it themselves. But, but the big realization was that Jesus didn't die um, to, to get you for an hour a week. Jesus died so that he could have you, that he could have his family, that, that he could have your entire life, right? Jesus, I'm not giving you Sunday. I'm giving you me. <laughs> Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. Give me your, give me your whole life. And that's, that's a richer experience. And Jesus has called us into an adventure. You know, come and walk with me. Come and follow me. Do life with me. See what it looks like to experience me and journey with me in all of life every single day. And, and so as I started looking at what is the church and we started to wrestle through, what does it look like to be a family of missionary servants sent on God's mission to be good news and share good news with those who don't know Jesus? And, and we started wrestling with Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. And in this passage, he says, and, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and a breaking of bread. And, there, you know, there was charitable giving. There was a disciple-making mission, disciples that made disciples. And the Lord added to their number daily. Um, there, there was fellowship. People were doing life together. There, there was prayer. They, they were constantly praying together. You saw all kinds of people that were transformed by the gospel. And we started asking ourselves this question, okay, um, what, what is church? And then we thought, okay, most people would say church equals this place. Like, we go to church. Let's go to church, which we've stopped saying that around my house. We say, let's, let's go to the Sunday gathering because the church is the people. And it's the people of God sent by God on this mission. It's not a place. It's a people. And, and so we started saying, okay, um, 
what, what, is, what is the church? And, and we went, okay, if you look at Acts 2, apostles teaching, breaking of bread, charitable giving, one mission, disciples that make disciples, fellowship, prayer. And we thought, what do we do on a Sunday? What do we do on a Sunday? And we thought, okay, on a Sunday, out of those things, do we teach? Yeah, we teach. Do we break bread? Not really. Not really the way that I see Jesus and the disciples doing it where they sat around the table and they feasted together and, and they did their, their ninja button thing, right? They brought the better meal and the, the better appetizer and they sat around the table and they shared their hearts the way Jesus did with the disciples. Do we really break bread that way and remember Jesus and what he did and, and what he's about? Do we do that together in, in community? And, and I thought, no, we don't really do that on Sunday. And what about generosity? Well, you know, we, we give, I don't know if, I don't know if we, we really understand the heart of, of generosity so much because I think sometimes we tip, but man, if you really do life with people and, and you see that they have needs, you want to meet it. Um, and, and then we thought, um, what about making disciples? Are we making disciples? And I thought, we're making people educated and they, they know the right information about Jesus, but are we teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded? Do they see what it looks like to walk out every single every single day where Jesus is Lord over every area of life, or, or are they just knowledgeable? Are their, are their marriages richer? Are their neighborhoods changed? Are their workplaces being transformed by the gospel? And, and so we, we started wrestling with, with that question too. And as we went through each of those things, we said Sunday is a setting where we teach and sing and give. But, but what about breaking bread and prayer and mission, and disciple-making. And we said, you know what? Sunday is good. I'm not downplaying Sunday. Sunday is good. But every single day of the week is meant to be lived under the lordship of Jesus, where he's king over every area of my life, whether I eat or drink or whatever I do. What does it look like for us to do life together on the mission of Jesus? What does it look like when we journey together and see our families transformed by the gospel? What does it look like to love Jesus, or love my wife as Christ loved the church? What does it look like to experience that in, in all of life? Um, and, and I realized that we tried to fit everything into Sunday. It doesn't really fit into Sunday. Not all of it. Right? So what can you do when you gather 100 people into one sitting for a couple of hours? You, you can teach, and you can sing, and you can talk a little bit before and afterwards, but there, there's a whole lot of other stuff that has to happen in the course of the week. So we said, where do we make disciples? How do we make disciples? And if you sort of envision here, you've got Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and you go, okay, Sunday, we're all coming together, and, and, and there's teaching, and there's singing, and we do that on Sunday morning. Um, and then Sunday afternoon, some of us are, are watching football this afternoon, and, and then you've got Monday night where, you know, maybe you're hanging out with some neighbors, and then you've got Tuesday morning where, where maybe you meet with a couple people, people for coffee and you're talking about their spiritual journey, what God's doing in their life. Wednesday night, maybe your community group meets. Um, you know, Thursday night, you're just spending some time with your family. Um, Friday night, maybe you're including some neighbors around the table with you. Maybe someone else from your community group's part of that too. Saturday morning, maybe you're serving, maybe you're sleeping in, whatever. And then you're back to Sunday. Where does disciple making happen? Does it happen Sunday? Does it happen Monday? Does it happen Tuesday? I would, I would say that it happens all week. Sunday's a part of it. So is Monday. So is Tuesday. So is Wednesday. All of life is lived under the lordship of Jesus. There's no sacred or secular. Jesus is always king. 
And he's filled me with the Spirit so that my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So all the time, I'm, I'm saying I'm offering up my body as a living sacrifice. Jesus is Lord over all of it. And so now I understand that all of life, all week long, is meant to be lived as a spiritual act of worship. Now I'm on mission to my neighbors on a Tuesday night around the dinner table. And I'm discipling my son as we take a walk through the neighborhood. And I'm sharing my heart with my wife as we look up at the stars and pray together and talk about what we're frustrated about. We understand that, man, we're, we're discipling people on Sunday morning as we teach and on Tuesday night after we watch that movie and on Friday night when the neighbors come over and they share about something that really tragic that happened in their life. You say, even the text message, even the emails become a vehicle by which we influence and encourage people to follow Jesus and submit to his lordship in all of life and understand that he really is the hope in the middle of your brokenness. What does it look like to follow Jesus in all of life? That this isn't a program. This is a lifestyle. That Sunday morning isn't more holy. We are God's holy people set apart for his kingdom purposes in all of life. That we have this idea that when we walk into this building, that this is a sacred place. You have to understand you're sacred. You're God's set-apart people, filled with his spirit. Your body is a temple wherever you walk into your neighborhood. (laughs) You're, You're meant to show God's glory wherever you're at. That's exciting, isn't it? Isn't that beautiful? Think about, wow, God wants to use me to advance his kingdom all the time, all week. We've got this idea that certain things are spiritual and other things aren't. And so when we sing on a Sunday, that's, a, that's an act of worship. But when we sit around the table, it's not. Yeah, sitting around a table with people that are far from Jesus, that you've been praying for and crying for, and you're hearing their hearts and their stories, that's an opportunity to show God glory and to be a part of his kingdom purpose. That's a holy experience. That's me offering my body to Jesus saying, I want to be on your mission with my neighbors at this table. This is a worship experience just like Sunday is. But we have to start to understand that this isn't a program. So for us, we said we don't want to implement some sort of program to make disciples and and get people to show up at an event. We want all of our people to understand that all of life is the program. Life is the program. That we're living life where Jesus is king over everything. And so when I show up to the party, what does it look like when Jesus is king? You bring the better food. And you listen to people instead of talk the whole time. And you find the person that no one's talking to. And you go and engage that person that's left alone. And you listen to them. And you love them. And you invite people to the party that never get invited to the party. Because that's what Jesus did. He invited the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And he invited all these people into the party that never got invited to the party. And then he served. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. And so for me to follow Jesus means when everybody else leaves, I'm cleaning up the dishes too. What does it look like in the workplace? And you start to ask, man, what does it look like to follow Jesus in all of life? It's more caught than taught. It's life on life, life in community, life on mission. It's Applebee's. It's the dinner table. It's Sunday. 
that's the workplace. There's not a, I put my faith aside when I walk into the, the workplace. I sure hope not. And I hope you're the person that when everyone else is trashing your coworker, you say, yeah, you know what? Um, I, I don't think we should talk that way about that person. Yeah, but they're, you know, they're, they're a pain. They're a pain, you know, and, and they're kind of venting to you a little bit more. Yeah, but I, I'm just, I just don't want to say it. Yeah, but, but why, why are you standing up for that guy? Well, while I was broken, Jesus was my advocate and stu- stood up for me, so I'm going to stand up for this guy the same way he stood up for me, even though I didn't deserve it and I was broken and I screwed up. He loved me anyway. And we're able to be a picture of the gospel wherever we're at. And what that communicates is when I'm hurting, I can go to that guy because he's not going to trash me to other people. He's going to be an advocate for me, even though I'm a broken sinner too. We get to be a picture of the gospel wherever we're at. And so we say that imitation is, is a greater way of discipling people than imitation or information, imitation over information. They said, Jesus said, follow me. Right? That's how we disciple people. Come follow me. Walk with me. Do life with me. Watch how I love people. Watch how I serve people. Watch who I serve. Watch how I engage people and love people. Come see it. Do life with me. And then Paul says, follow me as I follow him. And then we're saying, come and walk with me. Do life with me. See what it looks like. So I think it's, it's difficult to say, hey, go out there and follow Jesus and, and make disciples and, and good luck. <laughs> Instead of, hey, come walk with me. See what it looks like. Why, observe me as I connect with someone. See me as I sit across the table over a six-month period with the same guy at, at a sports bar where we're watching a football game, and I keep talking to this guy, talking about sports, talking about family. Maybe two months later, the guy starts to talk about issues in his life that he's dealing with, and I'm just listening. And then conversation moves to something spiritual, and the guy goes, oh, that's what it looks like. I didn't know what it looked like to talk to someone about my faith because I had never seen it, but now I see you. You don't do it in the first conversation. Jesus isn't a sales pitch. You're genuinely loving this guy, sitting across the table from him, hearing his story, interested in him. And over the course of time, as he shares his life and his heart and his struggles, now you're able to point him to Jesus out of the context of relationship. Life is our opportunity to to live on mission for Jesus. Um, I think one of the... um, one of the really important things in all of this is, is we have to understand the gospel. I don't think many of us really understand how the gospel plays out in everyday life. We're, we're not very gospel fluent, I think. Um, my wife was, was laying in bed one night, and she was, um, she was praying. And I think you can really understand someone's heart when they're praying. And, and she was praying, and, and she said, God, I, I just, I'm just not worthy of you, and, and you're just so great, and I just don't deserve you, and, and I'm just so undeserving, and I'm so unworthy. And, and she's saying all that, and she finishes praying. And, and I said to my wife, I said, Jackie, um, why, you, I mean, you sound like you beat yourself up a lot. Why are you beating yourself up so much? You just kept saying that you were unworthy, and you don't deserve, and why, why do you keep beating yourself up? Don't you believe that Jesus was already adequately beat up for you? Don't you believe that Jesus already paid for your sins? 
Why are you still trying to make yourself pay for the stuff that Jesus already paid for on the cross? Believe the gospel that Jesus already paid for that. You don't have to keep beating yourself up. Jesus was already beat up. When you keep saying, I'm unworthy and I don't deserve this over and over again, then you don't believe that it was already paid for because you're still trying to make yourself pay for what Jesus already paid for. Believe the gospel, it's okay. But I think we struggle to understand how the gospel plays out in everyday life. I was sitting across the table from another pastor. It was another pastor sitting across the table from him, and we had this waitress come in. It was funny because last night kind of brought up that memory when a guy spilled the drink at the table when some of us were out last night. But this, I was across the table from this, this other pastor, and the waitress comes out. She spills the drink and messes up and brings the wrong order, just did a terrible job at the beginning. But she apologized. She said, hey, I'm so sorry. I, I messed up. I spilled the drink, and you know, I apologize. And, and then the, the manager comes out, and he said, hey, I, I just, you know, we want to apologize to you that that everything was messed up and, and that your waitress spilled the drink and the order was wrong. So the, the meal's on us today. It's free today. And so the, the pastor across from me looks at the manager and he said, I just want you to know that this is the worst service that I've ever had. And I probably won't come back here. Right? Manager walks away. Waitress comes back over and she said, hey, I, I know that you know the, the, the meal's already covered, but if you guys need a, a refill on your drink or something like that, just yell for me and... And she walked away, and the other pastor said, what do you think we should tip her? And I said, I think we should give her 50%. And he said, 50%, she doesn't deserve it. And I said, that's the gospel. It's that God gave us what we don't deserve. When our performance was bad, God blessed us. When we deserve condemnation, he gave us the kingdom. Isn't that the gospel? What a great picture of the gospel if this waitress does a terrible job and we give her a great tip and she goes, why did these guys give me a great tip when I didn't deserve it? And then she sees these men that were praying over their meal that come back into the same restaurant and she goes, man, it's because of Jesus, it's because of the gospel that these guys gave me what I didn't deserve and blessed me even though I did a bad job and loved me in spite of my bad performance. What a great picture of the gospel that we could show her if we gave her a great tip even though she gave really bad service, and the other pastor looked at me and he said, I'm just going to give her two bucks. But that's our problem. You know, we believe that Jesus died to save us from our sins, and so we're waiting to die so that then we can go to heaven. But we don't understand how the gospel plays out in all of life, that we're called to be good news, that we're called to be salt and light That when we come in, when the Christians come in, they show grace and mercy to people that screw up because they understand the grace and the mercy that was shown to them by God the Father. And so there's a guy in my missional action group, and we have missional action groups, which the the idea is it's a group of people that do life together on mission. So we eat together and pray together and serve together and identify a missional lane, a group of people that we want to go to and love and serve and be good news to and share the good news to. One of the guys in our group is really messy and, and has a, a big past, and he was a little bit abusive in his past relationships. And, you know, so he came back to his faith. He grew up in a church, but he came back to his faith in our missional action group. And, and so he was really frustrated one day because another guy in the group wasn't bringing food to our gatherings each week. And so we, we all kind of pitch in and have this big potluck dinner every Wednesday night, and everybody brings a big dish, and we sit around and, and enjoy fellowship and eat together and hang out and build relationship and this one guy he said he's a mooch 
He comes out, and he doesn't bring anything, and we all bring food, and we all work hard each week, and we bring our, and he doesn't bring anything, and, and then he bums rides off of people, and, and so he was complaining about this guy, and I said, hey, why don't we meet up this afternoon and talk about it? And I said, okay. So we met up that afternoon, and I said, why are you so upset? He said, well, he, you know, he, he doesn't contribute, and I contribute, and the rest of the group contributes, and he ought to contribute, and we all bring food, and he doesn't bring food, and you, you've got to understand, I, we do life with this guy. This, this, this man that was complaining, I've watched a ton of ball games with him. We've ate a lot of dinners together. We've served a lot of people together, and I'm sitting across from him, and he just doesn't understand the gospel. He doesn't understand the gospel because I looked at him and I said, let me ask you a question. Are you sleeping with your girlfriend? And he said, yeah. And I said, what? you grew up in church. What does the Bible say about that? And he said, well, that I, that I shouldn't. And I said, but why do you think we haven't said anything to you? And he said, I don't know. And I said, because we believe that, that over time, God will begin to convict you about that area of disobedience in your life, and, and you'll start to realize that rather than use women, I should love women. And, and God's going to grow you in that, in that area. So we've been patient with you because God's been patient with us. And instead of trying to push you in that area, we're going to love you and, and wait for God to convict you and to grow you. And, and do you think that your sin is, is less of an issue than John not bringing food? Or don't you think that because God has been patient with you and we're patient with you and God has been patient with us that you ought to be patient with John even though he doesn't bring some food to the table? I said, what if Jackie and I, um, you know, brought food on his behalf? What if, what if we paid his debt? He's like, he's like, what do you mean? What, what if we made a dish and, 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 then, and, and then we made a second dish for him and we brought two dishes? Well, you shouldn't have to do that. Well, that's a gospel. You know, Jesus brought what we couldn't bring. And, and he, he brought to the table what we couldn't bring. That's, that's a picture of the gospel. But I think we have to understand how the gospel plays out in all of life. And we have to understand that there are, there are different flavors. We all have different gifts, and we're all going to look different. And people have passion and excitement on the mission of Jesus, but, but it looks very different from one person to the other. My grandfather has come out to, to my church services before, and we, we get really excited. And, you know, people talk and share, and there's a lot of interaction and dialogue, and, and the band's really going. And my grandfather, <laughs> when, when he gets excited, um, he does this. His foot comes up. Like, that's my grandpa going nuts, right, is when the foot goes up. And, and he would look like he's not into it. He's not enjoying it. He's not. But, but afterwards, he'd, he'd say, man, that was awesome. That was great. Because for him, he was just in the presence of God and just enjoying the worship. But he expresses it different than the next guy. And understanding that we all have different gifts to contribute to the kingdom, it's going to look different from one person to the other. My relationship with my dad and my sister's relationship with my dad are different but we have the same dad. <laughs> we have one God. He's the same. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. But my relationship with him is going to look different because I'm different than you, and that's, and that's okay. But we're all called to live on mission. So what does that look like in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your community group? What does it look like that all of life is an opportunity for the kingdom? I, I want to share a couple stories. One, we have one guy that took seriously what we're talking about, and and so he said, I am going to start to love and serve my coworkers. And so he really felt called, in my workplace, I'm going to start praying for my coworkers. He started going early, and he's praying for the guys that he works with. 
And he, he said, I'm going to start bringing coffee every morning for the rest of my coworkers. So he got a cup of, or one of the uh, box of Joe from Dunkin' Donuts, and he brought the box of Joe. And, and he hung out with a couple of the guys in, in the workplace that were believers. And the, uh, the three of them together started praying for the rest of the workplace. And then it turned into five guys and seven guys, and, and they're all praying together for the rest of the workplace. And, and eventually they said, why don't we start bringing donuts once a week and just bless our coworkers? And he started bringing donuts and blessing the, the other guys that they work with in the workplace. And some of the guys started kind of dropping off prayer requests as they came by. You know, hey, pray for this. We, we don't like to pray, but you can pray. And they kind of dropped it off. And, and they were able to, to sort of build some of those relationships. And this guy's going, man, I, I really get to follow Jesus in all of life. And he drove home from work that day. And as, as he's driving back, he sees a neighbor three houses down. And it's this guy that he's waved to like hundreds of times on his way home. And he sees this man three houses down standing outside. And he just felt like God told him, to park his car and go introduce himself to this guy. So he parked his car, he walked the three houses down, and he said, hi, my name's Dale, I live right over here. We wave to each other all the time when I drive by, but I've never introduced myself. So I, I just wanted to introduce myself, and, and it'd be great if you join me at the table one night for dinner. And, and the guy said, yeah, my name's Bharat, and I'm from India, and I've been living here for, for eight months, and they got into this conversation. And Bharat said, sure, I'll, I'll join you at the dinner table. So Barack comes over, and he joins Dale at the dinner table, and they have a great time. They have a meal. They, they, they talk for a while, and Dale said, we should do this again, and they do it again. He said, we should do this again. They do it again. They become good friends. Well, they're hanging out. They're enjoying meals. Some other people are part of that, and one day, Dale invited me to join he and Barack at the dinner table, and we sat, we sat together, and we're eating, and Barack said, um, you guys, you guys just seem really obsessed with Jesus. <laughs> and I said, yeah, man, we love Jesus. Jesus is awesome. And he said, um, are you trying to convert me? And I, and I said, man, Barat, we would love it if you believe what we believe because we believe that what we believe is right or we wouldn't believe it. We absolutely believe it. We want you to believe it. But whether you believe it or not, we still like you. We still want to be your friend. Whether you believe it or not, we still want to keep having meals with you. And I could see he, he just relaxed. And he said, so you're going to love me? You're going to be my friend even if I don't believe this? And we said, yeah. And then he started asking all these questions about Jesus. We got to really talk about Jesus for a while. And, and he said, well, I'm, I'm just not sure where, where I'm at on all that. And a couple days later, we saw him when we were out to eat. And, and we're sitting up at the table. And, and we said, hey, Barack, come over, join us. And he, and he sat across the table from us. And and we're in the middle of this place called Pizza Boy, and there's tons of people and loud noise all around us. And, um, and, and Barat's sitting there, and he said, so let me ask you guys a question. He said, so let's say there's a sinner. <laughs> let's say there's a sinner, and this sinner believes in Jesus, right? He believes in Jesus. He, he believes in, in the cross and the resurrection and all that. And, and let's say he believes in Jesus, and then a year later he dies, does he go to heaven, or does he go to hell, or does he go to hell for a while and then go to heaven? And I said, well, Barat, he would go to heaven because, because he believed in Jesus. And he said, okay, 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 okay. So let me, um, let me ask you this. So, so let's say it's the same guy, but he was a murderer. He killed someone, right? He killed someone, and then he put his faith in Jesus. Would he go to heaven, or would he go to hell, or would he go to hell for a while and then go to heaven? And I said, well, man, he'd go to heaven. And he said, but that's not fair. 
You know, this guy has to be punished for what he did. There has to be justice, right? And, and that man has to pay for his sins. And, and I said, Barat, what I'm about to say is going to blow your mind. And he said, I doubt that. And, and I said, um, God is a God of, ju- of justice. He's a just God. And he has to deal with sin and, and evil and unrighteousness. So because God is a just God, he poured out all of his wrath on his son Jesus instead of that murder. And because that murderer turned to Jesus to save him and rescue him, all of God's anger and wrath and punishment toward that sin was poured out on Jesus. And Jesus traded places with that man so that that man could have the righteousness of Jesus and Jesus could have that man's sin put on himself. And Barat looks at me across the table and he goes, that's effing nuts, real loud. And, and Dale and I started cracking up laughing. And he said, why are you laughing? And I said, I've never had anyone drop the F-bomb over substitutionary atonement. That's, that's a first for me. And, and he looked at me and he said, I believe what you believe. And it was because Dale simply included someone across the table you know, from him. And, and that's a big thing we say is it isn't about doing more. It's about including people in the stuff that you're already doing. Right? Just set more seats at the dinner table. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? is that he made his table bigger. That's what the gospel is all about. It isn't about leaving your family. It's about making your family bigger and including more people, just like God included you and loved you and invited you. So Ernest is another one. Ernest was the PA state director for the American Atheist. And, um, and we, we came together. We do these wing nights, and all the guys will kind of get together and eat wings and, and go to this local sports bar and and we sat down across the table, and one of the guys invited Ernest, hey, come out with us and, and eat some wings with us. And, and so Ernest was there, but the guy that invited him didn't come. And so, and so we just see this guy sitting there. None of us knew who he was, but he had this, this kind of polo shirt with this emblem that looked like NASA, and it said PA State Director, American Atheist. And he's sitting there right at the table, and, and right away he said, so what is this, like a Bible study or something? And and I said, no, it's just a group of, of, uh, of, of us, us guys who like to get together and talk about sports and family and faith. And, you know, we, we like to eat wings. And, and, and so right away he said, he, he started trying to debate um, evolution and creation with us. And I said, so what's your name? And he said, Ernest. And I said, my name's Mike. Nice to meet you. Because <laughs> he's going into his whole spiel. And, um, and I said, hey, tell me your story. And he said, man, I was... Um, I grew up in a family where, where my dad was a drug addict and he left us and, and my mom slept with men to make money to pay rent and I was by myself a lot. And, um, and he said, so there was this pastor that kind of took me under his wing and hung out with me and had me travel with him and he would go on the road and perform miracles that were fake. He didn't actually do any miracles. <laughs> and, and he said, and, um, and I walked in on this man raping a Down syndrome child. And I had to testify against him in court. And me and, and one of the other guys sitting there said, um, man, hey, we are, we are just so sorry that you had to deal with that. And, and he, said, um, he said, you are the nicest group of Christians I've ever met. You're, you're not trying to, to shove the Jesus pitch down my throat. You're just listening to me and you care about me. And he said, do you mind if I take my picture with you? I, I want to use it on my blog. And we're like, okay. So he took his picture with us, and, and he and I exchanged numbers. And we had been texting that following week. And I got a text from him um, a week later, and he said, did God tell you something about me? 
It was late night. Did God tell you something about me? And I responded with, um, no, he didn't. What's going on? And, and he, said, um, he said, I'm in the hospital. I, I started dropping things. And my fingers and toes aren't working right. I, I don't know what's going on. And, and I said, can I pray for you? He said, sure, you can pray to your mythical fairy god. I said, okay, well, I'll pray for you. And, um, and you know, they, they released him from, um, from the hospital and were waiting for results to, to see what the issue was. And it was about a week later. We had been in touch throughout that week, but it was about a week later. And I got another text from him. And I had just been thinking about him. God put him on my heart. And, and he said, did God tell you something about me? And I said, no, but I was just thinking about you. What, what, what's up, Ernest? And he said, um, I'm back in the hospital. I, start, I dropped my kid this time. And it's gotten worse. And you know, I just can't use my, my, my body right. And I don't know what's going on. And, and I, I said, I'm going to come over tomorrow. So the next day was the 4th of July, and I took one of the other guys from my missional action group, and the two of us went together, and we took barbecue from our 4th of July barbecue. And we went up into his hospital room, and we sat on his hospital bed next to him and ate barbecue with him and watched the fireworks out of his window. And, and we sat there talking, and he looked at us, and he said, no atheists have come to visit me. He said, you're the only two people that have come to visit me. He said, I can't deny the love that you're showing me. He said, I still don't believe in your God yet. But, but God was working on him, right? And, and he's made the transition from atheist to heretic, which I don't know if that's an upgrade, but yeah, we can tell that, God's, that God is genuinely working on him by our love and, and relationship in his life. But, but these are the stories. These are the stories. I, I have a whole bunch more. I don't know how I am on time. Um, but, but story after story, Tanya came into our house. She was an atheist. Um, heroin addict, former heroin addict, and when she walked through my front door to one of our parties, she had um, her head shaved, demon tattoos on the side of her head, she had her tongue split like a snake, she had her eyes dyed purple in the whites of her eyes, and, um, and, and she, you know, she came into my home, and right away, she said, I know some of you guys are Christians, I just want you to know I don't believe any of that stuff. I said, that's okay. Sit at the table with us. Eat with us. My kids went up, and they were real interested in her tattoos because she had Nemo on her arm, and so they were checking all that out. And So we, we served her. We sat around the table with her and ate with her. She shared a little bit of her story that when she was a kid, her parents abused her. They stuck her in a closet and would poke, would poke her with sticks, and she wasn't fed oftentimes. Um, she, she ended up getting into drugs because she wanted to find acceptance from a group of people went down a really dark path, made a lot of mistakes, but, but we loved her as a group. And she always hated God because she thought that God wanted to strike her dad and, and her, uh, her dad was run over by a pastor when he was driving his car, ran over, and she thought that God hated her. And when we were able to, to tell her in, in conversation that Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, this is what God's like, God is like Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, that, that God loves you. He came after broken people. He came after the outcast and the people that religious people wouldn't go to. She came to accept Jesus as her Savior, and I got to baptize her. And then she brought her um, former drug dealer into my house. <laughs> this is where it gets messy. So then we had her, her former drug dealer that was coming into my house. And, and then when you're in kind of suburbia, that's where the the soccer mom across the street gets a little flustered by the people that are coming into your home. And so we've experienced people in our neighborhood that, that are being transformed by the gospel, but other neighbors who hate us because of who we love. 
and who we include in our home. And, and you say, this is what it means to be persecuted for the people that you love, that you get slandered because you love the people that Jesus loved that, that oftentimes um, we never reach out to. And it's easy, easy to say, I love those people from a distance. But when you really love them close, that's when you experience some of that adversity, that nobody is beyond the grace of God. And Tanya came to faith and started making disciples. She died um, because of a severe allergic reaction that put her into an asthma attack. She died. She left three kids behind. There is still a part of our missional action group that she beat. Her former battle with addiction is discipling people as a part of our community. Her life was transformed by the gospel. Now her kids are a part of our family, and we're discipling her kids. Now we're on mission to her former husband. We've, uh, we've been mulching outside of the front of his house and serving him, including him at some of our parties and get-togethers. And we're trying to be good news to him so that then we could share good news to him. David's another one that came into our group in, in a party, and you know he would kind of sit back as we were all hanging out like this. And he looked completely disinterested. And any time we'd talk about Jesus, um, just in conversation, he'd kind of check out. And one day as we were all eating and, and we're having some conversations about Jesus, David went like this and leaned forward. I went, man, the Holy Spirit's working in this guy because I never expected him to lean forward. And, and now he's come to faith and he wants to start his own missional action group. And, you know, so just watching what God does, I, it, it would be impossible for me, for me to walk through in the time that's left what, what a missional action group does and how it functions. But I think this is where Kevin and where your community groups, this is where your leadership is going to come in and saying, what does it look like for each of our groups to start to live on mission as a community together? I wanted to share some of the stories, some of my heart for this. I want you to know what a missional action group isn't. It's not a small group, um, although it, it is a small group, but it's not just a small group. It's a group of people, but we're not inward focused. We're not primarily a Bible study. We do study the Bible, but we also want to apply it together. <laughs> what does it look like not to, not to just be hearers of the word, but let's live this together in community and on mission? Um, it's not just a weekly meeting. I'm doing life with these people throughout the week. I, I see the people in my missional action group sometimes three, four times a week, and we're texting with each other. They're joining me for uh, a get-together on a Friday night. They're helping me serve on a Saturday morning. We're all getting together for dinner on a Wednesday night. I see them at our Sunday, Sunday service, too. So we're seeing each other throughout the course of a, of a week. It's people committed to each other. It's not a program. It's people that are doing life together on mission. Um, it's not adults only. Kids are running all over the place. Sometimes we're lucky just to get through dinner, <laughs> depending on how big some of our groups have gotten. Some of them are 40-plus um, people, which I would never encourage you to get to. But um, it, and, and, it's, and it's flexible because it's led by God's Spirit. So we say whenever somebody shows up, if we have a study that we're teaching through, if somebody shows up that doesn't know Jesus, we ditch the agenda, and, and the night becomes about getting to know that person, love that person, build a relationship with that person. Um, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave things there. I, I have a lot I'm leaving out, but for the sake of time. And I'm just going to encourage you here with a couple questions. The first is, what is God's Spirit saying to you about all of life is an opportunity for me to live on God's mission and make disciples that make disciples? What's God's Spirit saying to you about living a lifestyle where Jesus is Lord and he's called me on his mission? 
Now, I want you to talk to some of the people around you about that. I know this could be uncomfortable, but we're family. So talk to the people around you about what God is really speaking to your heart about when it comes to living on his mission. Go ahead. So, so the mission, being on mission, what I've found, we're not, we're not just discipling the people that we're going with and the people that we're going to, but God is actually growing and challenging us on the mission. And I always thought I loved people. I thought I love people and I'm not biased and I love everybody. But, but I realized that when we started loving people close to home, there was this one guy in our group that, that was real messy. I mean, he would, he would come in, and he'd sit by himself in the corner and talk to himself. And he'd run through my, my hallway, and he'd jump up and tap the ceiling. And he'd spin in circles in the, in the kitchen by himself. And he was, he was very sort of socially awkward. He was homeless for a while. He would run to my house, and he'd be dripping wet and sit on my couch. And, and he was one of these guys that if he didn't show up to our weekly gathering... I wasn't going, where's John? I miss him. Where's John? But if other guys in the group were gone, I really miss them. And, and one night, he would sort of linger, and my wife was putting the kids to bed, and, and one night, he was lingering. Everyone else had left after we had dinner together, and, and he was in the kitchen. And I thought, when is this guy going to leave so that I can watch the ball game? And he looked at me, and he said, Mike, I always felt like I was invisible, and now I feel like I have a family. And I felt this big. And he left, and I wept. And I just said, God, I love the people that are like me, but I don't love the people that are not like me the way that you love all people that were made in your image. And so God really broke my heart for, for different people. Let me ask um, this group right here, what did you come up with? The four of you. Right. Yeah. Yep. And that's huge because people don't care what you know until they know that you care. So when you care and listen to people, they start to open up to you. Jesus postured himself as a listener. And I think oftentimes we just want to drop truth bombs on people instead of really love and, and listen to them. And, um, I have one more question. Who is God calling you to include at the table? Right? And, and the table is just symbolic for who else is God calling you to include in your life that's far from him to make them a part of your family the same way he made you a part of his? Who is God calling you to include that's far from him? As, as his missionary people sent on his mission, who's God calling you to include in your life that's far from God? Go ahead, talk, talk to each other about that. Okay, so, so this group right here, what did you guys come up with? We've got a new elder. It should be really spiritual. What comes out of this group? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we really have to be centered on Jesus. And he has to be Lord over all of life if we're going to be effective on mission. People say, okay, I hear your message, but you're not very loving. 
and selfless and patient. But when they see, man, that guy is patient, that girl is patient, selfless, gentle, kind, and they're sharing this, it's, it's coming from a place of integrity and character. So, yeah, character is most important when, when we're on the mission. Yeah, how about the guys in the way back? What did you guys come up with? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And when we had the drug dealer come into our home, we had to say, "You can't bring drugs into our home, <laughs> or you're not, or you're not allowed to come in." And we've had people that that I've met out to make sure that my family was safe. I'll meet you at Dunkin' Donuts, but not here, um, because I have to protect my kids and all these other families' kids too. Yeah, that's that's important, definitely. So, so right now, with, with the people around you, let's pray for, for someone on your heart that, that God is calling you to. Let's pray for, for individual people now, and then I'll pray to close this up. But it's, it's not about us knowing it and not applying it. I don't want to give you more information to disobey. We, we want to live on the mission of Jesus together. So it's, we don't want to be hearers of the word without applying. So let's, let's take what we're learning and think about people that we're going to pray for and cry for that don't know Jesus that need to be invited into the family. So let's pray for those people, and I'll pray. Father, I just pray for Cindy, who cried her eyes out on a bowl of soup on your couch a few weeks ago, a month ago. She doesn't know you. I know you're working on her heart, and I ask that you, by the power of your spirit, would just turn the light bulb on for her, that she would know that you love her, that you've pursued her and come after her, that you want her to sit at the table with you. You'd like her to be at the great feast one day joining in celebration with you. I pray for my neighbor, Ben, who sat around the fire pit with me and a few other guys. He doesn't believe in you, but he's real intrigued by the resurrection. I pray that you would just open his eyes to see that, that the stories in the Bible aren't fairy tales, that you really are real. Jesus really did come and lived among us and died for us. That, that Ben and his family would just be transformed by the gospel. I want to see him changed. I want to see him know you and love you and have that hope. He almost died to cancer once. And I pray that, that he would have hope to not fear death in the future if he has to battle that again. I pray for this church. I'm so excited about what you're doing here. I'm thankful for Kevin's friendship and for all the people that I've met here that want to serve you, know you and love you and have a heart for people that are far from you. I pray that you would bond this group together as a family, that they would love each other like family, eat together, pray together, serve together, that they would really start to, to think intentionally about who else do I, do I love and include that doesn't, that doesn't know you. 
pray that you would make this group creative and effective in going out to the people that you've called us to go to. As, as Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I send you. Help us all to live as sent ones, as missionary ambassadors, that we would be salt and light and good news, and that in being good news, we'd be able to share the good news. We thank you that you've called us to that. We're, we're excited about what you're going to do. Amen. Well, that was really awkward, wasn't it? I, uh, I, this is awkward, right? I mean, we've gone way longer than we normally go. Um, actually, if you went to his church, this has actually been normal length for one of his church services. But this is awkward for us, right? I, I, I came back from his service, and I said to Laura, like, I'm going to ask questions after my sermon next time. And my wife goes, that's a terrible idea. She did, and Mike, and so Mike told me that, he's like, he's like, I'm going <laughs> to, she's like, that's going to be really awkward if you do that, and, and so Mike goes to me, he goes, I'm going to ask questions today, I'm like, all right, I said, I'm just going to let you know my wife's not going to be happy with you, but, but at least I can blame it on him, right? Uh, no, I think it's, you know, uh, uh, I think God is calling us to embrace awkward sometimes. I talked uh, last week about uh, following Jesus is messy. And even maybe just this, a little bit of dialogue, is, it's, it's weird, it's awkward. I appreciate you uh, staying here and being here in the midst of the awkwardness. I appreciate you doing that. 